Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. This is our season four wrap-up episode. We're going to be discussing the various arcs of season four with particular attention on the themes. And I thought we could talk a little bit about narrative structure and basically how stories on the screen are told with regard to themes. And Blake Snyder wrote the book Save the Cat, which is sort of a guideline for screenwriting. And it's kind of a staple in the industry. And he sketched out a beat sheet and one of the beats on it, which is one of the things that most stories told on the screen just tend to hit naturally. And it's also something that new writers try to do on purpose is the theme stated, which is typically will be words spoken to the main character or by the main character, which flat out state the thematic premise, which is like the question the story seeks to explore near the beginning of a story. Some quick examples are from the classic Mean Girls movie. (laughs) Mean Girls. Which is relevant because we had a couple actors from that movie. Yes. The main character, Katie, says, I had a lot of friends in Africa, but so far, none in Evanston. And that kind of cues you in that this movie is about friendship. And then later on in the movie, we sort of have a conclusion to this theme and the questions that were surrounding this theme of friendship when Katie has the narration of ruining Regina George's life definitely didn't make me any happier. So the message is that tearing other people down won't make you any real friends. In The Wizard of Oz, which is another (laughs) relevant movie. Wow, it's like you picked it because it's important (laughs) to the characters in Supergirl. You know, I didn't actually pick the Mean Girls one on purpose. The Wizard of Oz, we have Dorothy's aunt tell her, find a place where you won't get into any trouble. So this cues you in that this movie is about finding a place where you belong. And then, of course, we have the iconic sort of answer to the question of where do I belong, which is there's no place like home. And obviously with Supergirl, we were told before the season even started that the theme of the season that they'll be exploring the most was going to be hope versus fear. And we have this season's theme stated a couple times in the first episode of season four. But particularly President Marston and her little speech that she gives cues us in that this is going to be something the season will tackle. She says, but there's always someone to be afraid of, some force, some threat that is beyond our control. And yet we carry on. A leader who caves to fear is no leader at all. So we'll be talking about that and hope versus fear and how that sort of mixes with the individual characters and their journeys and their kind of particular themes with their characters. And some sub themes to the idea of hope versus fear are emotion regulation which we see a lot. Of course, if you're talking about dealing with fear, you have to talk about that level of it. The truth is sort of a weapon against fear and as sort of a way to moderate hope and be realistic and the idea of protecting others. Yeah. And the show played into these things a lot. And by far, probably the best example of this was with Kara mm-hmm. because she's all about protecting people. <laughs> she sure is. And I mentioned how the theme of hope versus fear and these other sort of sub themes will connect to each individual character and their theme. So if we take a look at Kara's character in the pilot, she had her own sort of theme stated in that whole first conversation between Alex and Kara, which was about like being normal versus being super. Alex is like, you always wanted to be normal, right? And that connects to what we saw at the very beginning of the episode, you will do extraordinary things. And there's this sort of battle of, am I going to be Supergirl or am I going to be a normal human? And it kind of boils down to which identity is right for me. And this is something that we explore every single season, not just 
just related to being a superhero versus being a normal person, but also related to Kara's alien identity. And in that first scene between Alex and Kara, there's also some fun like symbolism because Alex gave Kara two shirts to choose from to wear, and she chose the like very Kara pink color shirt, but the other shirt was like a very super blue yep. shirt, and we'll never see her in that color again because <laughs> it's too close to the Supergirl blue. But it's also very fitting because of the relationship between the two of them, and then when Kara comes up with the suit, she picks that color. Yeah. Reflecting how her two identities connect to each other. <laughs> Indeed. And why she was so uh, thrown for a loop this season. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> We're still not recovered from that. <laughs> no. And then that takes us to season four. And the theme for Kara stated, it sort of opens on a shot of a newspaper and it says like Supergirls everywhere. And then Kara flies by it and she's going to help people from all different countries. And then she pops up next to James and asks the president a question as a reporter. James remarks that it's like impressive. And she says, for the first time in my life, I've got everything under control. (laughs) (laughs) Which is obviously like a really ironic line, but it also represents what Kara is dealing with this season, which is like trying to control things and kind of affect the external world and tying into her need to help people. And tying into her overall theme, she was kind of finally settled and felt like fulfilled in helping people well and to the degree that she wants to help people in both her human identity and her super identity. Mm. Yeah, it was really reflecting kind of how she made peace with both of those things at the end of season three and picking Mm -hmm. up from there, which was a really nice thing to see for her because Kara rarely feels at peace with anything. (laughs) Yeah, correct. And then the season is very much about trying to preserve those things and then obviously later on return to that feeling as things get worse. And so Kara, the basis of her theme is the want to sort of return to the status quo that we were presented with at the top of the season. And Kara's journey ties into the hope for Theer theme in a myriad of ways. And in the first episode of season four, Alex says, Car Danvers, you are the most courageous person I know. And even if it's hard, if you face it, you can conquer anything, which sort of poses a question tying into the fear theme. If you face the thing and are able to confront it, will you be able to overcome whatever? So Kara starts off the season fearing the truth, essentially. And this kind of ties into our sub theme that we talked about truth. And she has to sort of repeatedly face that she does not, in fact, have everything under control. And Kara is sort of like, I've got everything handled is like one of those things that keeps popping up her very optimistic statements that immediately turn out to sort of fall short of true. Yeah, there was a lot of dramatic irony this season. <laughs> there sure was. Except for in cases with Kara specifically with the you're safe now, which was nice. Yeah. But these moments set up Kara's optimism and her like unending hope to be argued against. And there's sort of an argument here that not only is fear something we should tackle, but we should also temper how hopeful we are while embracing the truth. And then tying into Kara's like sort of individual theme of fear of a loss of control, which Kara as a character has sort of had hints of this. Yeah. <laughs> like when she meddled in Kat's life. Well, and you even see it in the flashbacks of it, too. After her friend dies, she decides that like she's going to solve the crime. Yes. And doesn't let it go, even when every adult is like, you are a child. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh-huh. So it is interesting to see this season, it being framed in this way of like fearing a loss of control, which makes sense for somebody like Kara, who, you know, obviously her origin story, like traumatic event was a situation that she had no control concerning. And it also sort of reminds me of that moment in the Legion of Superheroes episode when Brainy and Kara were in her mind palace he. and Brainy asks her, why are you cleaning? None of this is real. And she says, I don't know, I guess I like putting things back in order. Yeah. 
That's Kara. Yep. It's interesting because that's sometimes a point of contention with Alex when Alex is feeling willing to kind of pick at her. Yes. Be like, we have to do things Kara's way. Mm. And she's like, yes. Yeah. She forced her way into my home. It's always a very positive attempt at trying to help people and stuff like that. But it can be a bit overbearing. Only sometimes. Like the situation with Kat or when she in season two gave Lena that not exactly wise advice to go talk to her horrible mother in prison. Yeah. Well, to be uh. fair, she, she asked her if she thought it would be helpful. <laughs> I know, but sometimes Kara's sense of what's right in her own brain extends a little too far. Yes, because she <laughs> likes to apply her impersonal life to other people to try to help them. And then sometimes it's like, Kara, you don't have everyone's experience. <laughs> and speaking of Lena, actually, and tying into this season, and Kara sort of managing her fear of a loss of control, we have even that moment in the anti-kryptonite suit when she's kind of trapped in there and kind of parallels later on with the Lexo suit and how the two situations are preventing her, A, from like getting out of a claustrophobic environment and then B, preventing her from helping other people. And then also her situation with Lena and how she's unable to control the fact that Lena is making anti-Kryptonian and anti-alien inventions and it happened without her knowledge. And, and she had that speech where she discussed how she feels the weight of the world on her shoulders. And that's why she needs to like know about like what's happening with the anti-Kryptonian and anti-alien alien inventions. Mm. And then obviously with James's well-being when he is hurt in the hospital. Yeah, that was a big conflict, especially between Kara and then Alex mm. is kind of the one who calls her out for it. Yeah, because Kara wants to feel like she has some sort of control over the situation and wants to be able to help. And she feels uncomfortable with that lack of control, especially knowing that James might die mm -hmm. because it reminds her of all the other times that she's had to watch people die and couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. And so she kind of goes off with Jean to go chase down Manchester, who ended up not being really connected to it. And she says, but deep down, I think I just couldn't bear standing by doing nothing. And then kind of tying into this overall situation we're dealing with in season four of trying to like move the needle back and kind of handle the social crisis and the anti-alien sentiment. Kara is unable to control how other people feel about aliens and then how other people perceive her personally, even in relation to like, I'm supposed to be also like the other aliens. I'm not supposed to be different. Even that level of, I didn't know people thought this. Mm. Yeah. And the season's kind of about her struggle to find a way to impact these things. And then even with Lena as well, her perception of Supergirl and then her perception of Kara, if she found out that she was Supergirl, is sort of something that Kara can't control. And her need to control things for the better is also at play when she decides not to tell her the truth, because how will she be like Lena's perfect friend who keeps her sane if <laughs> Lena's mad at her or right? hates her? Well, and it's interesting that she's just defaulted to that position. Like, that's my friend responsibility. Yeah. And it's also interesting, like, her issue is Lena knowing that she's Supergirl because of that lie and not Lena knowing I'm an alien more broadly. Mm. Um, and they've never really touched too deeply on the difference between those two things because I think that actually speaks a lot to the progress Lena's made as a character in some ways that the concern isn't so much the alien part, whereas maybe in season two it would have been mm -hmm. as much of a concern. Particularly, like, with Raya, we saw it literally was a concern. Yeah. <laughs> she felt betrayed 
worried because the stranger hadn't told her that she's an alien. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's been rather enchanted by Brainy thus far. Yes. And then, you know, back to Kara and her wanting to control things. She feels a loss of control with Alex and Alex's happiness mm. and has that sort of extra oomph of I'm making things worse by being around, which is like if you are somebody who needs to throw yourself into situations to try to help people and fix things, then throwing yourself into a situation and finding out you made things worse is like kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And with that one, Kara is so much more hyper aware of it because of all the conflicts they had, particularly in season two, mm. with recognizing that there were parts of Alex's life that kind of got crowded out because of how she prioritized Kara. Yeah. And Kara has been trying to like reciprocate that mm-hmm. and, and be a good sister. And now she's like, okay, but I'm not helping. I'm actually, you know, making her more upset or I'm distracting yeah. her and it's not helping. Just yet. the fact that I am Supergirl and aliens are trying to kill me all the time, which is something that Alex has said herself. Like, I'm always yeah. anxious just because of what you do every day. Yeah. But I mean, that's just part of, you know, accepting that someone you love does something dangerous. Like, yeah. you're always going to worry about it, but that doesn't mean like you don't want them to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that we'll talk about yeah. Alex's relationship with fear in this season. <laughs> <laughs> that's her other significant relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then for Kara, tackling this theme of control and how it interacts with hope and fear, things sort of spiral for her toward the end of the season when she discovers, like, A, that Red Daughter is out there. She, in that very dramatic moment, was kept from stopping someone from tarnishing her reputation and killing people in her name. Yeah. That's sort of the beginning of the downward trajectory. And then Kara discovers that Lex and Red Daughter know her secret identity, which is something that she has tried to control (laughs) in the season to keep everyone around her safe. And, you know, there's that intense moment of fear for Kara when, you know, Lena's seconds away from finding out herself and then walking in and seeing everything. And you can kind of see how panicked Kara is. And she even goes back and burns the room down kind of unnecessarily because it's it's like she needed to sort of gain some control back, Mm. need to do something. Yeah, that desperation that's in there. That scene was so lovely. Yes, I agree. Thank you for letting Melissa get a chance to act with her face. (laughs) Yeah, correct. And then, you know, this loss of control over her secret and like people finding out puts her family at risk, Eliza and Alex. And then she has that kind of stressed out speech to Jean Mm. and kind of lists all of the terrible things that just happened that she has no control over. And she had sort of started to think that she was starting to be able to affect the world again and kind of make a dent in all the issues that she's facing. But it didn't turn out very well. Kara is millennial Sisyphus. Yes. <laughs> Pushing the giant boulder up mm-hmm. there. Actually, that would be really funny because Kara is Supergirl. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But even with all these things going to crap, <laughs> Kara's hope for goodness leads her to being okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, hope and truth went out. And <laughs> <laughs> in the most extra example of this, yes. well, we have so, sort of the setup of Eliza's life was at risk. Alex doesn't know that Kara is Supergirl. To know to come and protect her mom either. Yeah. yeah, and can't protect herself because she doesn't know that people know Kara's secret and know that she is a target because she's her sister. And then we have this battle where she like literally loses. <laughs> she does. <laughs> she totally fails. But then her sister asks her <laughs> to not die, <laughs> to come alive again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she wills herself back alive. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, we pointed this out in that episode as well, but A, that was a reference to a Superman comic where something very similar happened, and B, it also reinforced the theme of the importance of moms because you had Mother Earth in there yes. and also Eliza in that episode. Mm-hmm. But the the way they framed it was very much like, she's doing yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it was Kara. <laughs> it was Kara, yeah. yeah, her victory over literal death. So like, you're talking about feeling a loss of control and then a moment that sort of reaffirms that you do in fact have some control over some things. Yeah. And that moment where Lex asks her how she did it. Yeah. She's like, how do you think I did it? I'm Supergirl. I loved it. Yes. That was some very classically Kara sass. Mm-hmm. But it was also a moment of will triumphing. Yeah. I'm this iconic figure of strength. Of course I can do it. Well, and that's so interesting when you look back on season one and how not totally confident she felt in that role mm. all the way down to even her body language when she would kind of strike the pose. Yeah, I like that. And then here she's just got the little head tilt and it's like, well, of course I did it. <laughs> Why did you think I couldn't? Yes. Stop underestimating women, Lex Luthor. <laughs> uh. Correct. <laughs> so that's sort of like her Supergirl role gaining some power back despite losing a fight. Literally and figuratively <laughs> gaining power back. Yes. And then in terms of Car Danvers and her reporting journey this season and the messages that they've tried to tell about hope versus fear with that tool of reporting, Kara releases an expose like that reveals all the truth of all the terrible things that Lex has done to manipulate the country. And she says this whole speech, these have been some dark days and I'll admit there were some times when I thought we would never get out of it, but we didn't give up and we kept chipping away until we brought the truth to light. <laughs> she has this moment, it's almost a fourth wall breaking moment mm. where she looks kind of right in the camera and says the fourth estate saved the day, which was kind of nice. It was. So Kara's journey was interesting in terms of fearing the truth herself at the beginning of the season and then exposing truth and turning it into a tool to fight against hopelessness and fear. So sort of facing the fact that she doesn't have control over everything in order to gain some control back. Of course, this statement, while I do think that Kara occasionally seems to have learned something about like managing optimism, setting maybe more realistic expectations, mm-hmm. particularly with the fact that there are people who hate aliens, but this moment does not particularly reflect reflect that she has learned that lesson. Mm. It's a very car moment. And it's a very season finale moment. Yeah. And we save the day and the problems are over, which on the one hand is a very, like we said, car thing that she does. But on the other hand, it comes off as kind of trite yeah. in terms of the arc of the season, especially given the context of the last episode being very much about the action and not very much about this article. The fact that at the end of the day, this was the thing that saved everybody didn't come across well and was kind of over-optimistic compared to everything that had preceded it. Mm, yeah, which related to your point there about like journalism saved the day, but we didn't get to really dwell on it long enough to fully understand how Kara's words had an impact. We ran into this bigger issue of the show kind of struggling to balance some elements of different genres at times mm. and raising the question of, well, how much realism can you put into your sci-fi without confusing the audience in terms of understanding when we're supposed to have our expectations set by reality and when we aren't. Mm -hmm. And the journalism story and the Children of Liberty, as they related to that, are a really good example of that because this season for a number of fans in feedback that we've seen and among other people we've interacted with has been difficult to watch for a lot of people because the bad elements of the negative parts of the story were so very realistic, particularly 
particularly in the front half of the season. Mm -hmm. And then the show didn't say anything particularly meaningful about it. They just kind of dumped a whole lot of stuff that was reminiscent of things people are afraid of in reality. And then in the last five or six episodes, we're like, actually, it was all the work of this one crazy evil mastermind who was manipulating all these people. And as soon as we found out the truth, everybody accepted Mm -hmm. it. And the problems are over the end. And it had almost like a fairy tale happy ending Mm -hmm. speed to which it wrapped up. I mean, there's some merit to the idea of like hewing in the American people that there are outside influences who are trying to twist the truth. Oh, yeah. But they didn't tackle it on that level. They tackled it on a villain level. Yeah. Of like defeat the guy in a battle and then publish an article as kind of an afterthought and then everything will be happy again. Yeah. Well, and that when we got to the level of all the realism with kind of like the politics in the White House and the way that the Children of Liberty went about recruiting people and all this other stuff to not have a more realistic discussion of, well, how do you solve this problem effectively at the end? Mm -hmm. Really, it kind of contradicted the message that they were trying to put out or the story that they had been telling and they kind of veered into a different kind of story very quickly at the end. And that was just like they had done such a good job that the conclusion to it just felt a little unsatisfying. I think I said previously like they could have used a whole nother episode to kind of get more space and breathing room on that. And just shift some of the storytelling priorities to like the reporting aspect of it being the driving force of the heroics. Yeah, well, that's a place where we don't get to see Kara struggle often. Mm Mm-hmm. And we've seen in flashbacks in a little bit, sometimes maybe in season one, that those everyday, more human Kara Danvers tasks are places where Kara does struggle sometimes and has to really work hard in a different way to overcome them. And they were a little bit inconsistent on the messaging about journalists being important and also the risks associated with journalism. Because when Kara's involvement of trying to cover the alien stories and change the tide of public opinion were kind of inconsistent delivered. Like they'd appeared a bunch at the front of the season and then they kind of fizzled out and then she wrote this big expose at the end. Mm -hmm. But the other issue of it, like the danger aspect of it, I said this as well, I think previously, but some of that message gets a bit lost because you as the viewer already know like nothing bad's really going to happen to Kara. And it undercuts a little bit of the message about the risks that people take in journalism, Mm -hmm. particularly in a year where we've seen journalists get like kidnapped and murdered repeatedly. There was, you know, a shooting at a newsroom in the United States within recent memory. You have the president deriding the press everywhere. Mm -hmm. See, it would have played, I think, better if they had played up Kara's alien status more in the risks that come Mm. along with that. Yeah. Yeah. And there were a couple brief moments in Crime and Punishment where they leaned into the idea that Kara needs both of her identities in order to defeat this particular Mm -hmm. ideological enemy. But that wasn't a through line throughout the entire season of Kara having spent all of season three reconciling that there are these two big cultural and emotional parts of herself that come together as Kara Danvers. This season really didn't follow through on that. Mm -hmm. too much in terms of using that and the things that she's learned about herself to let her solve the problems. I think because she didn't really seem to grapple with any of that on an emotional level. It was a lot more plot driven and she was reacting to a lot of things instead of us seeing her kind of internal journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this season had Kara very much focused on affecting the external world and, you know, controlling those things, but not very much at all about the way that the external world affects her personally and, and alters her internal world. World. And I talk about Kara's core beliefs a lot, where she feels responsible, which is very much tied to this idea of control and the weight of the world being on her shoulders. And then she also has issues concerning abandonment, which ties into, obviously, the fact that she lost her family and her world and 
we've seen this come up quite a few times in the series mm-hmm. related to Monel, related to her relationship with Alex. And this season, it's like they really played upon Kara's sense of responsibility and they didn't touch on her issues with abandonment very much at all. Except maybe in 410 when they did the mind wipe stuff. Yes. That was really the only time it came up. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like the overall arc of the season, this is the perfect time to kind of deal with Kara's abandonment issues. Yeah. Like she just started to feel like she's at home, really. And all of her identities are kind of at peace. And now there's this rising anti-alien sentiment and people are attacking her and saying that she doesn't belong here and people like her don't belong here. And then later on, her family is attacked. But we never really get the sense that Kara fears losing her home because she's an alien. Yeah, I've been frustrated by that all season and I was holding off on saying it until we saw the conclusion just to kind of see if the pieces would come together a bit differently than they did. It was a journey for me where I was like, I'm kind of sad that this isn't present. And then I was like, I'm really not happy that this wasn't present. (laughs) Yeah, at the start of the season, it was like, "Mm, okay, but they have time to get to it. And then as things progressed, it was like, all right, I guess we won't. (laughs) But one of the things that bothered me throughout the whole season was the issue of the season was specifically very heavily tied to immigration. It was an allegory for some of the fights that are happening in the United States and elsewhere about whether immigrants should be welcome and how they should be treated. And your main character is a child refugee Mm -hmm. who often doesn't feel like she's being written as someone who is an immigrant, who has two cultures and two sets of experiences and feels like an outsider. That was missing badly this season in a way that it hasn't in the past. And it was very bizarre given that this season was explicitly about those issues. (laughs) And Kara this season also, for the first time, had a group of friends that was more aliens than not aliens. Mm -hmm. There was never any attention called to that. She never had a moment of being like, oh, this is nice. Where we've had in previous seasons, like in season two, when they come back through the portal thing from Slaver's Moon and the random other alien that comes with them is like, does it always smell weird like this here? And Kara and Jean and Monel all laugh and Alex is just like, what? Yeah. And it was such like a nice, subtle, moment of all of the alien characters bonding over something that they share that the human characters don't. Mm -hmm. And from Kara's frame of reference, that was missing badly. And you could tell that in the choices that were set up narratively early in the season. We had the new character Kara gravitates to very strongly is Nia, who yes, their personalities are very similar in some (laughs) ways. And I loved that moment in the elevator where Kara's like, oh my god, you're me. (laughs) But she resonates with Nia, who isn't actually a stranger to Earth. Mm -hmm. She's someone who is bicultural, but who feels at home on Earth. And that says a lot about maybe the way Kara's mindset has changed. But we haven't actually seen Kara like explore that yeah. in any way. And it's also reflected in how much Kara's at odds with Jean and doesn't want to take him at his word when Jean points out that the sentiment is changing. People are being really maybe negative or cruel in a way that seems new to him. And they get into that a bit in the subtext with how much different alien characters pass as looking human and Kara is definitely on the high end of that scale, Mm -hmm. particularly as a white woman. And it's almost like because she does look so like a human, there wasn't room for her to have her own issues with living in that middle space other than briefly in maybe like the first couple episodes. There's a really good scene where she and Alex are having dinner together in the season premiere where you can see for a brief second, and this is again, thank you for the face acting, uh, (laughs) um, that Kara has this flicker of vulnerability in her eyes. She is scared 
because she knows deep down that what Jean is saying is true and it frightens her. Mm. And it frightens her as Kara and alien, not Kara as Supergirl who's out of control of things. And that I was really also expecting for Kara to have more of an emotional journey on that, either talking about it with Nia, talking about it with Jean, getting more into kind of the fault lines of where Alex and Kara diverge because a lot of the time they're always on the same side. And given the vastly different frames of reference and life experiences they have, that shouldn't be true. And it really shouldn't have been true after the mind wipe happened. And so there were a lot of lost opportunities there too. Mm -hmm. In episode one, which you talked about in her plot with Jean, like you talked about her sort of face acting, you could see the fear, but it wasn't really reflected in the dialogue. Mm. Her reasoning for not wanting to believe that there's this level of hatred toward aliens was written to be more about her as a hero than her as an alien herself, other than on sort of performance level, which would have been like, okay, if this were the only situation where Kara's alien perspective personally didn't come into play. And then you talked about how Kara hadn't really talked to Jean very much and Nia very much about like shared experiences as aliens. She did have kind of that back and forth with Brady and Stand and Deliver about protesting. And Kara's stance in that episode kind of made the impact of her, you know, standing and delivering (laughs) not as powerful as it could have been because it was from a place of her having to be coaxed into believing that this is important when A, she's like a journalist. (laughs) Yeah. And has been before very cognizant of the impact that her role as Supergirl plays. She is very much focused on the heroics, which makes sense on a plot level, but on a character level with Kara, it could have been a lot more powerful if we had more of a sense of her as an alien and her internal thoughts and feelings about being an alien in that context. Mm. It was almost like, for me, the image of Kara standing with her Kryptonian robes on with Jean and Brainy protesting, which we saw before the episode aired, was almost more powerful than it was within context. And then, of course, I've talked about before, the All About Eve episode, episode 14 of season four, and the situation with Lena and Black Kryptonite. When Kara, who is, you know, an analogy for a minority, like as an alien, she's a minority, she was treated like she was getting too emotional. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bad look. Yeah. Concerning tools that are used to hurt her minority group. And then she was written to like sort of explain that her reaction was really just about wanting to protect everybody and having her kind of hero complex, which was not a good look. No, subtextually, that was not a very good message. Yeah. Which again, kind of goes back to the issue of like your realism in your sci-fi. Mm-hmm. If you're going to use a metaphor, you better make sure it's clear the whole way through and that you've thought through how every character fits into it. Yeah. Which that was just such a struggle because the front part of the season, like the first probably I'll say seven or eight episodes especially, had some really, really strong moments depicting different elements related to the immigration topic and different levels of aggression and microaggression that a minority group experiences. You had several different conversations about passing or not passing and using those privileges in ways that help other members of your community between Jean and Kara and then Jean and the other aliens in the support group. Mm -hmm. You had the moment with Brainy getting threatened in the pizza shop and Nia choosing to step in as someone who had the ability to do so. Mm -hmm. You also saw the moments with Franklin, the alien at Catco, experiencing microaggressions from some of his colleagues, even if it wasn't like overt nastiness. They were still playing pranks and being kind of mean to him until James had to figure out how to step in. And you also had some really nice work on somebody thinking about how do Kara's human allies fit into this picture and what logic 
logical missteps would they make because they're not aliens? Mm -hmm. And that stuff was great. But then all of it kind of fizzled out as soon as we shifted to the Luther focus. And that momentum on the immigrant stuff never really came back. And a lot of that was because Kara's emotional voice in particular wasn't given space Mm -hmm. in the way that it really maybe should have been. Particularly when you think back to like we spent all of season three leading up to Kara discovering she had family and friends who were still alive on Krypton. And she chose actively to stay on Earth instead of staying with them. And none of that came up again in any of Kara's reactions to anything, including Lex saying he was going to blow up Argo, yeah. which was weird. Yeah. There were a lot of like plot points toward the end that should have a really intense uh, impact on Kara, but we just didn't get that insight into her you know, internal voice. Which in a show about women. Yeah. And a show that thrives when it deals with complex emotional matters. It seems like they sort of valued the plot points more than they valued the character work this season. That seems to be a problem of the even-numbered seasons. (laughs) I wonder if that means season five will get some more character stuff. (laughs) I hope so. It's like the pendulum swings back and forth. (laughs) And that sense of plot points and what you're doing for the season or for the episode kind of overpowering character work is kind of what I felt like happened in All About Eve with Kara and turning it into being an emotional problem because that episode was about emotions, you know. Mm. But if they had kept particularly Kara's internal voice as an immigrant in mind, there are ways that they could have kept these themes intact, but incorporated that more. For me, ideally, this season would have started off as about Kara being a hero and kind of Mm. trying to affect the external world and then slowly developing to become more personal to her, which kind of plot-wise did happen where it starts off as like these external problems and then her family is attacked, but then we didn't have that voice. And then ideally, Kara would use her personal connection to help people, which she's sort of prone to do anyway. And that would have given A, Alex and Kara a nice parallel story of like, how do I protect everyone and everything? <laughs> and then wait, how is this affecting me in my life? And then to like, considering my own feelings about this is actually better for everyone, which we will talk about <laughs> with Alex. And then B, this would be a nice message about managing emotions, tying into that theme, the idea that they can be useful tools. Mm. And speaking of Alex, it takes us to her journey. And if you want to look at her character themes. In the pilot episode, we had Alex's theme stated, which appeared right away when we first saw Alex. And she talked about how she's late getting on the plane. But Kara asked her to come over to help her pick out an outfit. And Alex says, why do I let you do this to me? And she says, because I'm your sister and you love me. And that immediately tells you a lot about Alex's character and gets to the heart of Alex's theme, which is like, nothing is as important as other people's needs. It's something we explore every single season. And it's also interesting because later on in the pilot episode, her reaction to Kara becoming Supergirl sets the stage for the A for Alex standing for anxiety, which is obviously very clearly relevant in this season. So we have Alex's season four sort of personal theme stated. President Marsden says, your team and Supergirl have been doing a tremendous job keeping this planet safe. And I also wanted to say that I think John Jones made a very wise choice when he chose you as his successor. So Alex kind of deals with feeling like Jean made the right choice for her to appoint her as the director and feeling like she's doing a good job, of course, tying into her overall theme. Alex feels initially in the season pretty confident that she's protecting others and making others proud sufficiently, and she's able to pursue the things she personally wants. She's going on dates. (laughs) Apparently a lot, going by Kara's facial expressions and Jean's amusement. (laughs) Yes. And her goal, kind of like Kara, will eventually be to return to this sort of status quo of being happy with her roles. Yeah. The other thing 
that's interesting about like that quote in particular and the things Alex is working on for season four, looking at how saying like Jean made a good choice. It also really ties into how Alex is very family oriented and her immediate interest is always on her loved ones and making them proud of her and maintaining those relationships because we had that tidbit we learned very early on in season one about how a lot of Alex's early career aspirations were very much inspired by her mom. And now here she is taking over the DEO like her, not dad, but dad in her heart. (laughs) And then that flows very nicely into kind of her other bigger questions for this season about trying to get herself in order in terms of wanting to have a family of her own and figuring out what kind of parent she wants to be and looking to those adults who she views as role models. Mm, Yes. And then, of course, Alex's character journey and theme ties into the hope versus fear theme of the season, particularly regarding fear and (laughs) anxiety and tying into this sort of sub-theme of emotion regulation. We see that her fear for Kara's well-being is overpowering the rest of her life. Well, it makes sense that it's overpowering because Kara herself is super powered. Look, it's proportional to the amount of trouble Kara can get into. That's all I'm saying. So it overpowers the rest of her life and she has difficulty letting herself pursue her personal wants in her personal life. Which has always been her problem. Yes. Tying into that first moment in the pilot, we see her and she has to get on a plane, but she made time to come pick out Kara's clothes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then her fear for Kara's well-being actually kind of overpowers her relationship with Kara, which is also something set up in the pilot with that argument that she had with Kara about Kara becoming Supergirl and how she didn't think it was safe for her. It's also similar to how her concern over making Eliza proud of her actually damages her relationship with Eliza. Hmm. Good. Uh, nice connection there. And so in this season, we have like arguments over her safety, but also when Alex forgets Kara, that Kara is Supergirl in order to protect her, which obviously puts somewhat of a strain on their relationship. And then for Alex's arc this season, the conclusion of her struggle involves the concept, I need to start trusting that people can also protect themselves. Yeah, it'll make her life a lot easier. That's sort of the answer to the thematic question in the way that there's no place like home was kind of the answer. And we have this sort of like affirming moment to this idea that people can protect themselves when Kara literally just comes back from the dead. <laughs> She's Kara. No, it's because Alex believed in her, okay? <laughs> True. Fair enough. <laughs> but that's kind of like, she'll be okay. I could just be there when it's important as yeah. opposed to worrying my entire life. And then Alex kind of applies this lesson that she learned in pursuing a relationship with Kelly rather fearlessly. Although I think there should have been a beat in the story where she trusted that Kara could protect herself to demonstrate mm. that she has grown in that specific way, which the last episode when Eliza and Alex were talking to Kara about how she just died and now she's about to go race off and <laughs> fight people. Kara, the sun has healed <laughs> me. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. But that would have been kind of a nice moment to have Alex actually decide like, okay, she's got this and then maybe make mm. some sort of personal decision regarding the plot. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and this kind of realization that Alex has about needing to start trusting that other people can protect themselves is also it's hard to explain but it's sort of subtextually there in her moment where the adoption agency calls and are like hey maybe tomorrow yeah she's like overly anxious about like it's gonna fling itself 
herself into it. Yeah. Like, she has to trust that the baby's not going to do that. Well, yeah, like, learning to let go and just, like, cry inside while you let a small person learn to do things for themselves is a huge part of being a parent, especially if you're going to start with a baby. Mm. And if you're not in a place where you're already sort of comfortable with that, that's not a good start because you're going to have to start learning how to do that with a very steep learning curve. Yeah. And I don't think Alex was quite there yet, Mm-mm. clearly. Yeah. So, like, that actually worked really nicely, kind of narratively, in a way, with gauging how much progress Alex has or hasn't made. And I assume we'll get to see that develop further. Yes. As we go forward in the series. Because it's a big thing for Alex, so. Yeah. In case you couldn't tell by <laughs> the number of speeches that she has made about her parental figures and how much they matter to her life. Mm-hmm. Speaking of parental figures, tying into the theme stated that I said earlier regarding Jean and how he made a wise choice in appointing Alex as the director of the DEO, the sort of storytelling presence of Alex's role as Jean's successor at the DEO kind of fell away mm-hmm. pretty quickly, especially after they had that nice scene together in which he said that he did make a good choice. Yeah. Oh, when he comes to visit. Yes. Yeah. So on the one hand, I'll say we did see a little bit that her being there in a decision making capacity was good for kind of keeping the moral compass of the DEO a little bit more to the center Mm -hmm. than it might have been if Haley was there unchecked. But a lot of that was Alex in the way we very typically saw her in previous seasons where it used to frustrate Jean because she would kind of just do things independently. There wasn't a lot of her so much leading people or working with other members of the DEO Mm -hmm. in a lot of those scenes. And actually the DEO itself really became not even much of a presence to the point that I know we and a few friends were talking about, are they getting rid of it as like a fixture of the story? Because it just played such a minimal role in a lot of things. But this is a problem they have with Alex almost every season. So it makes me wonder if there's like other reasons why that's the case. But her story beats kind of always seem to disappear or come a bit unraveled as we go into the back half of the season, particularly like the back third of the season, they set up a lot of really good stuff in the beginning and then it kind of becomes haphazard as more plot stuff starts happening Mm -hmm. with other characters. And it came across that way this season as well, particularly the interpersonal stuff, because after the mind wipe, she became very disconnected from the main plot and a lot of the other characters because she doesn't work directly with Nia. Brainy was kind of in and out of the DEO and a lot of the time actually wasn't there. He was working with Kara and Nia and Jean. Jean wasn't there anymore. The stuff with Lena became much more about Lena and Eve and Lex and the Lena and the DEO part kind of faded. Mm -hmm. So then when we had kind of the development of Alex's non-work life, it just felt kind of random a little bit. Mm -hmm. And with regard to the mind wipe, when you're thinking about pairing the characters together and like what the most interesting dynamics are, they paired the two people the most who both just don't know that Kara is Mm -hmm. Supergirl. Yeah. And that's not the most interesting dynamic to play into with the mind wipe. It sort of avoids any kind of conflict on that level. While it was interesting and seeing like, oh, Alex's mindset and kind of political opinions are a little bit closer to Lena's than they were before, there's not much more to play into that. Well, but also too, her sense of loyalty is very much tied to people that she has an emotional connection to. And when she's no longer like, Supergirl is my sister, Lena comes up higher on the list. Mm -hmm. But I would have sort of expected Alex and Supergirl to maybe interact even more than usual. Mm. Or I would have expected to see Alex and Kara interact more in their off time in kind of different ways. Mm -hmm. For example, like going back to the issue of journalism being dangerous, why post mind wipe did Alex never question Kara's safety as a journalist or why Kara is not afraid of the fact that people are shouting death threats at her in comments? 
sense or why does she care so much about alien rights? (laughs) Yeah. Uh. Stuff like that. Like where it was on that service level of protection, there was that interaction of like, Kara isn't safe. But then in the ways that would have most interestingly tied into the various themes of the season, that didn't happen as much. Well, and also it didn't happen in ways that give your most talented actors room to show what they can do Mm -hmm. other than in very select moments. Like Suspicious Minds was a great episode for Kara, Alex, and Jean. And Red Dawn, again, was a good acting moment, particularly for Alex. But, you know, there's 10 episodes in between there yeah. where Alex and Jean didn't interact at all from 412 to the end. So when you think like that's your family unit, that's the core of the story, where did they go? So kind of like with some of the other things, there was all this really awesome setup for character exploration of these core three characters who are so interesting to see against each other because their life experiences are so different, but they all love each other very much. And they kind of just, instead of really exploring the tension there, wrote around it mm. a lot, especially with Kara and Alex. You had Kara just being like, well, Alex doesn't like Supergirl anymore, so I'll just make friends with her as Supergirl. <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah. Which is something I wanted on a, like, base plot level, but then it didn't tie in sort of ideologically or into the themes as well as it could have, like the attempt to befriend Alex. Yeah. Well, and also I think that's partly because as we said, Kara's emotional voice in that was missing. Like she talks to James about it a little bit, but we never had it come back again with Nia and like Nia struggles with her sister. Why didn't we have a follow-up of Kara talking about how difficult and frustrating it is to work with Alex on that level while also sort of lying to her or like... Well, there was like hints of like why it's all Word, but it wasn't like explored. Yeah, it wasn't explicitly delved into as deeply as it could have been, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about this more later, but also was weird when you consider you have the Danvers as such a contrast to the Luther family. Yeah. And the Danvers family really wasn't very present. <laughs> and that takes us to our third member of the Space Fam trio, Jean, and his character journey specifically. With Jean, it's a little trickier in terms of taking from the pilot episode to talk about his character. There are revelations we have about him later on, particularly in relation to his survivor's guilt. Mm. But that tied into what we do learn about him in the pilot episode. It's interesting. We have his theme stated when he says to Alex, I know you don't want to hear this, Agent Danvers, but she's dangerous, referring to Supergirl. And so this signals to us that Jean is not really open to new relationships or people, but he also sees himself as a protector. And we've definitely seen him develop as a character over the seasons. Yes. Space Dad. Space Dad. And then that takes us to season four, his personal theme stated, which came from Fiona, who was the group leader, the aliens, in the first episode of season four. She said, we each do the best we can in our own way. And that ties into his overall theme in that like influences from an interpersonal relationship with his father are driving the method he is using to protect others. And he is also like more connected to the people than ever. And the way it intersects with the hope versus fear theme is that Jean throughout the season fears that his new path of nonviolence is putting those he personally loves at risk, which the fact that he has those deep personal connections with both Alex and Kara and his sort of extended family is definitely development for the character. But Mm. now the fact that he is on this path of nonviolence, which is a new angle on his role as a protector, are two things that are sort of conflicting here. And then Jean fears that the way he truly wants to help will disappoint his father and his god, Ronmir, when he makes the discovery that he wants to be the Martian Manhunter with sort of an altered 
view on the kind of violence he's willing to do. He's slower to go to violence, but he is willing to do it when he thinks it's necessary. And it's interesting because in that first episode of season four, Jean talked about the alien Vaz who was in that group. He says he has had his own struggles, but his research in nuclear physics is widely admired, and he's used his platform to become a great advocate for change, which sort of reflects two things that Jean really values. He wants to be a great advocate for change, like this protector role. And the widely admired part of that quote ties into this concept of legacy for Jean and how what you do is perceived in the grand plan and how it connects to your family and connects to the world at large. And this is something that weighs upon him. And what Vaz says sort of resonates with Jean, which is we all must have the courage to be seen, which is also kind of interesting for Jean, both as like a shapeshifter Mm. and as someone who is struggling to be his true self and deal with the fact that he might disappoint his father if his father knows who he truly wants to be. And then that sort of journey for Jean is interesting in terms of emotion regulation when Manchester tries to goad him into violence uses like emotion as a weapon against him, which is interesting in terms of Jean having talked about how his mind powers can be a kind of violence. Mm. And then Mind Marin in Jean's sort of vision of him makes Jean so angry that he admits who he truly is. He says, I'm the Martian Manhunter. And this kind of demonstrates that emotion is also a tool. And then for Jean, the sort of conclusion of his arc is that he faces his fear of letting down his father and embraces helping in his own way. And we have this sort of affirm moment for Jean when he shows conviction in his actions and it ties into his issues with survivor's guilt when he says during the battle for my home planet I ran millions died I will not make that same mistake again when he is using his powers to overload the weapon which would be used to destroy Argo. Mm. And that's also a little bit like Kara with trying to take back control after like a traumatic thing you couldn't control. Mm, It is. And it's just interesting for all three of the characters and how they try to protect people. With Jean and Kara, obviously they have this traumatic experience of losing their home planet and their family. And then Alex and Jean share this fear of letting down their fathers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, their parents in general. (laughs) True. See, they were meant to be a family. (laughs) Yes. And then to sort of the extended space family, we have James's journey this season. I actually really enjoyed James's stuff for the most part this season. Yeah. I think it was James's strongest season. Yeah. Narratively and kind of really interesting acting wise as well. We have his personal theme stated for season four with everything you're going through right now, the DA possibly indicting you for being Guardian. And here you are worrying about cub reporters, which sort of reflects how James will have like personal issues in his life, but will push forward to try to help others anyway, which kind of ties into James's overall theme, which is like he says in the pilot, I'm trying to expand my own horizons and this idea that he wants to be out of Superman's shadow and Supergirl's shadow and be a hero in his own right and help people. And we see in this season how pushing forward to help others and ignoring these personal life issues isn't always a good thing. He sometimes ignores legitimate reasons he shouldn't get involved. Mm. to the detriment of others and to the detriment of himself and his life until he can't ignore them anymore in this season and gets help with a personal problem. And this ties into the hope versus fear theme and how James consistently ignores his fears, but there are consequences showing that ignoring fear is not always a good thing. No, and this was most noticeable in the storyline James had related to the Children of Liberty and how they really were kind of taking away his ability to help people as Guardian. Mm. 
by using his image and what he stood for to repurpose it for their like human pride movement Mm. thing that he obviously found really morally offensive. So in a way, you can look at it as him confronting fear because obviously all these people were quite afraid and that was why they liked the symbol of strength that the Guardian stood for. Mm-hmm. And his thought was, well, if I can understand what's motivating these people, maybe I can get through to them, which is a very Kara-like hope. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and try to find a way to maybe pull them away from that ideology or figure out a good message that counters mm-hmm. it. And he, in trying to do that independently, definitely didn't go about it. Maybe the most effective way since he nearly got branded as a terrorist mm. and almost killed Kara at one point. Um, <laughs> yeah, that happened. <laughs> minor details. Yeah. Uh, but this sort of poses like an actual question of like hope is actually always better in this sort of tricky situation. And that's also something that we saw earlier in the season with James. Like I think maybe one of the first things that he did to conquer fear that had actual consequences was going out as Guardian initially when the DA Oh, was yeah. breathing down is like he would have been theoretically he should have gone to jail he should have gone uh. to jail and then he went out anyway because he's like okay i need to face this because i'm a hero and despite nia's warnings and then it turned out that that was the moment where he was turned into this human excellence poster boy yike yeah <laughs> so it kind of ties into the idea of like truth is a moderator of both hope and fear and how you have to consider all the possibilities when you are either deciding to hope in something or take a more fearful approach. (laughs) And then the emotion regulation aspect, tying it to fear, of course, with James came up with his PTSD storyline. Mm. And how opening the little boxes was actually important for him to do. And that whole situation where he had to confront his fears and admit that they exist in order to be able to try to cope with them and get past them. And this ties into James as a character. He says, I feel like I shouldn't need help. I feel like I should be strong enough to just get over this. And that ties into his role as Guardian and how he wants to get out of the shadow of Superman and Supergirl. But then at the end of the season, we land in this place where he says that the injury that he had reminds him that he is human, which he had started to miss. So admitting that he has these like human vulnerabilities was important for him to be able to be an effective hero in a very similar way that we saw with Carr in season three. Mm, yeah. And how she didn't want to admit that she was human in a way. <laughs> well, and then one of the really nicest parts of this season for James, where we finally get some more context for who he is and why he does things the way he does, was we also got to meet a member of his family for the first time. Yeah. Kelly Olson, beloved psychologist. She is the sort of professional emotion regulation friend. It's fitting that we have in this season where they deal with the sort of sub-theme of emotion regulation that we have the character of Kelly come in, who is a psychologist and who tries to get James to address his feelings in order to be able to regulate them. And she also has her own journey concerning hope versus fear and how we initially see that she isn't easily shaken and she is able to cope with James being hurt in his time in the hospital. But then later on, she struggles with fear when asked to confront basically the worst day of her life. But she manages it with Alex's support, as we've talked about. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what role she plays going forward, because Mm. as a new character, they have at least established that she's connected to multiple of the other characters. Like, we know she has some kind of pre-existing relationship with Kara because she was excited to see her. And obviously James. And I've been longing for more James and Alex content (laughs) since, like, 
season one. Yes. So fingers crossed someday. That would be great. Yeah. So I'm interested to see it and how they integrate her and kind of what role she's going to play or if she's actually also going to get involved with alien communities or helping people in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. See what kind of hero Kelly turns out to be. Yeah. And then speaking of seeing how people turn out next season. <laughs> Lena Luther. Oh, Lena. Oh, Lena. Speaking of people who need therapy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it's true of most of the characters. It is. But Lena had a harrowing personal trauma season in a way that maybe not quite everyone else did. <laughs> Fair. So her season four personal theme is stated when Kara says James's theme stated, which was that he has this personal life issue, but he's still out helping people. And Lena says, that's because he leaves the worrying about the DA to me. <laughs> Does he, though? (laughs) (laughs) Which, number one, sets up the conflict between Lena and James that they'll deal with this season. But it also sort of affirms Lena's theme this season that I deal with, which is like, I am the only one who can solve this problem. Just something we also saw with her character a lot before, like in season three, the situation with Rain. Mm. And how she literally was like, no, you can't go to Supergirl or the government. It has to be me who helps you. And so we see that she's the only one who can solve this problem, even when it's someone else's problem in which she is sort of meddling in, which which is something Kara and Lena share in that sense. <laughs> right? This is why they're friends. Gryffindors. <laughs> 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 and this ties into Lena's overall theme because the first time we see her, she says, I'm just a woman trying to make a name for herself outside of her family. Can you understand that? And that was to Kara and Kara's like, yeah. So that sets up that dynamic of like, if Kara will be able to accept Lena and particularly Lena's big theme, which is her struggle to separate herself from the Luther name, her struggle to be good and what it means to be a good person and getting other people to see that she is a good person. And in the first episode of season four, James says to Lena, I don't want you pulling any strings for me. You've tried really hard to separate yourself from the criminal element in your family. Don't get mixed up in this, which cues us in that Lena's meddling in the situations in the season will lead her down a sort of shadier path and make it harder for her to make a name for herself outside of her family, ultimately. Mm, Yeah, especially because they actually played up a lot of the ways in which she leans on the privilege that she has Mm. as a Luther, not only to get James out of trouble, but you also see it kind of in the attitude she has in the flashbacks with interacting with Lockwood. You see it a little bit in how she recoils at people questioning the ethics of her human experimentation Mm. in her desire to be like, I'm not giving control over my things to the government and like all that other kind of stuff. And also when she gets to just like waltz right into the prison because she like temporarily buys it. Mm -hmm. So for as much as she wants to separate herself maybe from the branding problem that the Luthers have. (laughs) She actually doesn't want to separate herself from the wealth and the social privilege that comes attached with it. And that's not something she has really reconciled with. Mm -hmm. One of Lena's biggest issues in terms of her character and the trouble she gets in and her more shady moral actions is that she doesn't necessarily take the time to understand a problem fully, especially when it's another person's problem. She just kind of already thinks that she has the right solution, which gets her into trouble with situations situations involving aliens, of course. And for Lena, it was also interesting in terms of the sub-theme of emotion regulation, connecting to how she wants to separate herself from her family, because the other Luthers are very much about suppressing your emotions or just not having them. (laughs) We see in the very first episode of season four, this pop up, which was something that we caught later on, certainly, with Lily and, and Lena's dynamic. But it was here in this first episode when Lena says, no, mother, your face was a mask of enigma, as usual, in a scene that they 
shared, sort of setting up this sub theme that they'll deal with. And of course, Lena was the one to give Brainy the advice of little boxes and putting your emotions into little mental boxes and compartmentalize. Yes, and forget about them and never deal with them. And Lena in particular has difficulty sort of recognizing when she's letting her emotions drive her actions and cloud her judgment, at least until after she has distance from the situation. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, in season three, she says to Kara that she has the emotional range of Medea. Not the most flattering of comparisons and worrying. <laughs> yes, but she can recognize this when she is talking about something that she tried to do before, which was kill Edge mm. now that she has distance from it. But in the moment, she wasn't going, oh, my emotions are making me make decisions I wouldn't otherwise. And this ties in, of course, to the Hope versus Thea theme in that Lena often this season lets her fear drive her actions. So she has different kinds of fear, like fear for the people she cares about, fear of rejection, fear that things will go wrong if she's not in control. And some like quick examples of this are, of course, when she kills Adam because she pushes forward with her Harnell experiments because she is afraid of what could happen to the people she cares about. She gives the government Harnell, which ends up resulting in Blackwood getting the serum for himself because she fears like a rising civil war between aliens and humans. She says, and what's do something about it without necessarily taking a minute to assess the situation. Sounds like Kara. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but the thing that sort of separates Lena and Kara is that Kara will look for outside sources and insight from other people. True. She will seek help. Lena doesn't. Lena sort of secludes herself because of like her own issues that she has. Speaking of that need for therapy. (laughs) And it often results in shadier moral situations. Whereas Kara, because she can be pretty open-minded and will eventually listen to advice from people and looks for advice from people, despite the fact that she kind of barges her way into situations and tries to fix them, she can often moderate her actions with that sort of outside influence in a way that Lena, Mm. because of her own fears of rejection and the very complicated mental situation that she has, has more difficulty. Well, and Kara has also got better role models as a template. Yes. (laughs) So that helps too, because typically you tend to notice as you get to be older that like in situations where you don't know what to do, you default to what you see in like the influential people in your life do. And uh, the people in Lena's life <laughs> in her formative years were kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. So yes. And it's interesting because we see that Lena tries to like get new role models, particularly with Supergirl. Mm. And at this stage, she doesn't really have her on that pedestal. So she doesn't have that really at this time. And then another example, of course, of Lena letting fear drive her actions is when she dumps James because later on she says that she didn't want him to reject her because of her interactions with Lex. And also she didn't like that he disagreed with her and had that sort of fear of rejection and fear that a disagreement is rejection on some level. And this sort of results in a really dramatic moment of moral ambiguity (laughs) in which she kills Lex, which is not an unsympathetic decision, but it is also a pretty morally gray moment and it's also kind of a decisive act which puts Lena at the end of the season firmly in this place of moral grayness. She does end up choosing a side which we've talked about how she said in episode two of season four to Mercy you've chosen a side I'd never do that. She doesn't in the sense that she's still morally gray but she very much does in the sense of her allegiances and she Mm -hmm. rejects Lex and tries to be in her often misguided way on the side of aliens and alien rights. It's just (laughs) (laughs) she needs to spend more time listening to the people and less time thinking she knows better yeah and that sort of takes us to the reality that is lena not actually really learning any lessons this season yeah 
No. Which I think is okay in terms of character development. Mm, yeah. And like how she does end up in this really firm place of moral ambiguity and sets us up for the fifth season and the conflicts that will arise then. But in terms of messaging, the fact that Lena doesn't learn any lessons and that other people sort of don't confront her as strongly as they kind of should have makes the messages that the show is presenting to the audience kind of messier. Yeah. Well, and one of the reasons for that is there's a lot of research, some of it's education research, but a lot of it's just more psychology in general, saying that you can't present something that's really morally ambiguous and get around to explaining it later. Hmm. Because if you don't have something in your narrative that says how the audience should interpret it straight away, they won't know how and they'll be open to accepting it as a good thing, particularly if it's coming from a character that they identify with or that they really like. Mm -hmm. And the stuff with Lena, it didn't even necessarily have to be like a direct confrontation or a direct challenge and somebody saying like, hey, this is bad. Why are you doing this? Because obviously no one was there when she killed Lex. But there does need to be some other way of getting the message across on how we're supposed to think about some of these things or how we're supposed to perceive the fact that Lena operates from this place of privilege and kind of ignores the people that she allegedly is an ally of mm. and does things her way. And that's not being put there, even if it's in like an exchange between two characters from like random citizens, like reading the newspaper yeah. or something. There's no counterweight to Lena's point of view. And given that this isn't a Luther story, that's a problem. Well, one of the issues, though, is that within certain conversations, they do actually present the counterweight, but then they mm. make it so that it's not enough. Like, oh, you mean like with Kara specifically? With Kara, even with James and their conversation in the car, where like Lena is exposed to other points of view and like arguments that are pretty good, but then the argument ends on Lena being like the one with the upper hand. Yeah. And that sends the message that Lena was ultimately in the right. Yeah. Subtextually, it's saying like she's right because she ended up with the power in the conversation. And the fact that they did have these other arguments and then they lost is almost worse than if she had said the arguments uncontested. Yeah. Basically, I mean, if you want to look at it this way, it's like, yeah, Trump wins a lot of things he says. That doesn't make them right. <laughs> yeah. It's like just because you yell the loudest doesn't mean you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that came up a few times with Lena and James in ways that were definitely in character. And again, we talked about this with Kara too. Like everybody's reactions totally make sense yeah. on a character level. But in terms of trying to, I mean, unless that is the point, we are supposed to agree with Lena. Uh, <laughs> don't <but> say that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think we are mm -hmm. because there's too many other things narratively that don't. So yeah, it's like this season had a weird relationship with like both sides, that concept. Yeah, there was a lot of very contradictory messaging with a lot of different stories this season. I almost wonder if with Lena, there was an attempt to be like, we totally understand her, but it went too far. Mm. Like, I disagree with her, but like, let's explore her point so that we understand her. But then they never got to the point where it's like, okay, but it's still wrong. <laughs> exactly. Which they did a better job with characters like Lockwood. He's also in a position where he's not supposed to be likable. They also had to take a lot more care to make sure that they, yes. no one was thinking they agreed with him. Mm -hmm. The writers do a really good job when they're really cognizant. The more attention they have to pay on something, the better job they do. But if they don't think it's as much of an issue, then sometimes things get messier. Yes. And the character who Lena gave advice to this season with mixed results with the little boxes, we have Brainy. His personal theme stated 
for this season came from Alex, who said, you don't process as fast as you think you do. And Brainy kind of started off as a character having a very high opinion of his own intelligence. Self-assured to the max. <laughs> Self-assured to the max. And we saw that like with Wynn last season. And Alex is sort of frustrated with the fact that Brainy isn't understanding what she's saying. In that episode, there are some issues on Alex's side of not trying to understand Brainy's point of view and like why he doesn't understand what she's saying. A, on an emotional level in terms of Brainy being separated from the Legion in his home and then B, on like a neurotypical level. But this sets up the fact that Brainy's biggest weakness as a character who often deals with issues of intelligence is emotional intelligence. And so we deal with a lot in season four emotion regulation with Brainy in relation to fear. That's when Lena gives him the advice about little boxes. And we see a nice kind of development with Brainy and emotions throughout the season. And the idea of little boxes comes up repeatedly. And he sort of learns some interpersonal lessons. And it's interesting because at the end of the season, all of his emotions are put in very tightly locked little boxes when he is sort of reprogrammed in a way. And there's sort of an interesting bookend in that final episode, which connects to the first episode of season four, when he opens Kara's cuffs, the gravity cuffs that slammed her into the ground and she couldn't get out of. He hacked into them and opened them and talked about multitasking, which is a motif that comes up with Brainy a lot in this season. And then in the Red Dawn episode, at the end of the season, he closes Nia's cuffs and Brainy has gone through this journey of like trying to have the emotional connections and interpersonal relationships and multitasking with his like job and having to deal with putting those feelings away when it's important, but then not keeping them there forever. And in this scene, he is no longer multitasking. <laughs> He's tunnel visioned and he doesn't care about Nia's well-being. So it's kind of a nice symbolism of closing the cuffs and, and kind of closing little boxes. <laughs> yeah. And it also ties really nicely to we see a shift in the openness or being closed off of his body language as well mm. as he starts kind of learning how to incorporate emotion into his everyday being. <laughs> and that also plays interestingly into kind of the other underlying motif of the season with nature and nurture because Brainy encapsulates that as a techno-organic life form and also because he traveled through time. So he's learning a very different cultural language of how to express himself and he does okay by the end. Yeah, he has that nice scene where he's very emotional. <laughs> yes. He's sort of shouting at Jean and Nia. Motivational Shia LaBeouf scene. <laughs> yes. And then he has this sort of declaration of emotion to Nia when he says that he loves her, which takes us to Nia. Yes, speaking of Nia. Yes, Dreamer, our new superhero character. The show's baby and we love her. Yes. <laughs> her personal theme stated for season four comes from Kara when she gives that speech about fear and how like it keeps coming back no matter how much you believe in yourself. It's something you always have to deal with. But once we catch ourselves, we have to jump right back out there. And Nia deals with fear pretty directly a lot this season. We see in her first episode in 401, Nia is very passionate about her article, but then she fears sort of putting herself out there when Mackenzie gives her pitch. And it's kind of like an impressive, I have a lot of friends in high places pitch. And we see throughout the season that Nia is very passionate about helping the world and justice in general, but keeps having to deal with this issue of fear. Also with telling her sister the truth that she has the dreamer powers. And then of course, with superheroing. She says she doesn't want to make waves in the first episode of the season. She doesn't want to like upset people. And she also doesn't really think that she's like the one who should be doing the things. <laughs> 
like with Mackenzie and how she should be the one writing this article and like with her sister, how she should be dreamer. And then she has to kind of accept that she is the hero that she is. And she sort of gets through these moments with Kara's mentory encouragement. And a big moment with the relation to that is when Kara says that like the world doesn't need to hear from Supergirl. It needs to hear from Dreamer in American Dreamer that Nia is exactly the person that the world needs to hear from because of who she is as a half-human, half-Naltorian citizen of Earth. So that's sort of a big affirming moment to that idea. And then there's a conclusion in the season finale when despite Brainy saying that he's like the only one who can save them, kind of going back to hell, he sees very highly of himself sometimes when he reverts in that scene. He says that he's the only one who can do it. And then he's like criticizing her, but Nia has her big hero moment with Jean. And it's kind of like, no, Brainy, you're not the one. It is I who has to save the day. Which was nice. It was. So then to kind of round it out, we'll try to cover some of the secondary characters, but there were a lot of them, which is maybe its own issue. Mm. But one of the ones I do want to bring up is Colonel Haley, because we were really curious at the start of the season how they were going to integrate her into the story. And I think overall, she was an interesting addition to the DEO as very much a counterpoint to Alex in a lot of ways. But again, we had this issue of kind of missed opportunities because there was so much other plot happening Mm. everywhere. It was a little bit disappointing that we never got any really good scenes, especially after Lena got involved at the DEO, of those three women together who come from very different backgrounds, very different ideological standpoints. They have very different methodologies for going about accomplishing tasks. They have extremely different goals. And there were really never any very satisfying interactions between all of them or seeing them attempt to make a decision and collaborate together, Mm. which would have really lent itself to some of the messaging about how you combat some of these fear issues and you pull people over to the side of like the pro-alien stance. And the other thing about it that was unfortunate was they brought her in as I think the only woman of color who like had a higher profile role in the cast this season. At least initially until Kelly. Initially, yeah. And then her role became a lot less prominent and then they kind of almost off-screened the last beats for her character in that she mostly delivered like a little voiceover on a green screen and that was rather disappointing as well, especially since we then got like a whole coda scene to the finale with just Eve, who was also a secondary character. Yeah, it's like with Haley, I thought her progression was really nice up until like right around when her turning point would be. <laughs> like I felt like we skipped a bit of progression. It felt kind of like, oh, she's fine now. She wants to work with Supergirl. Yeah, they did this on like a, again with face acting, <laughs> they did this on a subtextual level in her recognizing that what she had done in the situation with like the Morai was wrong. And then in her little comment about her daughter's teacher going into hiding because of the raids Mm -hmm. taking aliens away. But there was never quite like a personal connection to her having that change of heart like directly with Kara or with Alex. Yeah, it was pretty much rushed at the end. (laughs) Yeah, they had a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. And the level of my disappointment kind of depends on if we'll see more of Haley. Yeah. I mean, I hope so, but who knows? <laughs> who knows indeed? My guess is probably not. Hey, I will hold on to hope. <laughs> hope versus fear. Yeah, that's your job. <laughs> and then of kind of the rest of the characters, like we've talked about Lockwood before. We talked about the Children of Liberty already a few times within this episode. Given that they were the ideological opponent, we don't really feel the need to rehash yeah. everything they stood for because... No. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be really clear, they were a stand-in for Nazis. The show did not support mm-hmm. that point of view. I think, like, of the villains, Lockwood was 
quite clearly opposed on an ideological level, maybe say compared to Lex. Like, I don't feel like there was much space, which we'll talk about later. Mm, Yeah, I actually think so. Thinking to all of the different big villains that they've had, I actually think after Astra, perhaps Lockwood has been probably the most compelling. Mm, Yeah. From a narrative standpoint, because he presents a personal challenge to all of the characters Mm -hmm. in one way or another. I think he would have been a stronger villain, as I've said before, if Kara's alien status had been played up more than it was. Yeah. I actually think the Children of Liberty storyline might have been stronger if they had saved the Lex reveal for like the beginning of season five and had Kara actively work both as a journalist and as a superhero on combating the Children of Liberty and like saved the reveal of Lex pulling the strings till the end of the season. Mm. Because then that would have also given a bit more space to have some development with the Red Daughter storyline. But speaking of the volume of characters, I would like to point out that by the end of the season, I legitimately had forgotten that the elite existed. Like, I literally did forget about them until something in an episode reminded me that, like, Menagerie was a person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, right. That was a thing that happened. These mid-season villains are not super effective. (laughs) No. And they did this last year, too. And I don't get why this tends to be, like, a storytelling choice that they keep making where it's, like, you establish that there's, like, one of a kind of villain. And then it's, like, what's worse than one? A squad. But then you bring the squad in for, like, two episodes. (laughs) And then they're easily defeated. And, like... There's no stakes and it doesn't matter. We're not attached. We have no emotional investment in whether they're defeated or not. We know they're going to be. Well, I feel like with Manchester as a part of an elite, he certainly... Oh, no. Yeah, I liked him. Yeah, it's just the sort of assorted other characters coming in was more than was necessary on a plot level. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Like, if you look at it last season, too, like Rain on her own was really compelling. But then it was like, let's add more world killers. And then they die right away and Rain absorbs their power. It's like, why did we need that? It's like an extra level of contrivance for reasons. Yeah, it's like filler (laughs) plot when we don't need it. (laughs) Yeah, like, please, instead of doing that, just spend more time doing character work and save your budget and pay for cooler CGI. I don't know. Do like, (laughs) instead of like filler arcs, just do filler episodes where you can have sort of a micro look at certain issues, like have Kara have another reporting story with an individual alien. Yeah, that would have been cool. And that's where sometimes I think they get a little bogged down in like like getting to pick like which things from DC Comics they get to bring in and play with, which like sometimes it's exciting, but it's also really distracting. And in the case of the Elite, it really muddled the messaging of the season on what Kara's ethical fight was. I mean, you did get the reinforcement of the idea that she will help anyone or everyone, but the place where it got weird was when you had the Morai mm-hmm. take the Elite's side as people who had been victims of the way the government treated them. And then much like you said how Kara's point of view as a minority was contradicted and told it was kind of wrong. Emotionally, you had the same thing happen here. They were literally invisible. (laughs) Yeah, they were literally invisible when they finally took agency on their own and started kind of reacting to how they had been treated. The narrative basically said they were wrong and put them right back in the same jail that they had been in the first Mm -hmm. place. And there was not enough done with connecting that to Kara's recognition of like that could have been her. And like the more I existed to kind of be like a set up for what happens with Red Daughter and this issue of government indoctrination and the creation of child soldiers. But they stood in 
a contrast in a way <laughs> in that like once they finally got free of the people controlling them they decided to go get revenge and the one that thought it was going to be captured decided it would rather kill itself than deal with that and red daughter her whole emotional response is very different in that she had the freedom to kind of find out what was being done to her or like how she was being manipulated i don't think she really did she wasn't really given the opportunity like i have this criticism for the narrative and that she found out she had that exchange with lex and then she was put in a box and then she died <laughs> no i'm saying before that uh, she was roaming around national city doing whatever i mean well that was different on an ideological sense in that well yeah but she was indoctrinated it never crossed her mind to like well the more i were also betrayed they were going to be killed uh true which is kind of similar to what happens with lex and that there's that betrayal moment for both of them and then she isn't really given the opportunity to see like what she's going to do about this information true but even in the way she responds to lex in that moment where she says you should have let me die like the the focus there is on him doing things to her it's not on i wish i had died like it's not even coming from her point of view right i just think that if she had had more time it might have come to more of an aggressive stance yeah well and you do see when she has the the moment to choose after the pod thingies are open and ha 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 they had her locked in a pod <laughs> she does make the choice to go and defend Kara as like the one person who tried to get through to her in like a helpful way mm. but yeah that was a story that like that one in particular with Kara and Red Daughter it was played up as being something like really big and then it almost ended up not really mattering to the plot very much yeah there was a big fight and like action yeah but there was this sort of setup of like Red Daughter's ideological indoctrinization and then none of that was really undone in a significant way in terms of messaging and being like oh here's how you get through to people and like I thought that was kind of what the season was about. Yeah well that and also you have when she's arguing with Kara about what she stands for she mentions like loving the people of Cosnia and we never saw her really interact with the people of Cosnia other than the one little boy so like was Lex letting her go super superhero around Cosnia? Like, and how did the world then not figure out that there were two Supergirls? Like, there's some confusing stuff in there about why she loves this homeland that she didn't live in for very long so much. Mm -hmm. That was not a part of the House of L episode. Like, we didn't see, like, nationalistic yeah. ideas put into her from Lex. It was more about anti-America stuff. Yeah, and it was also very much also about a personal loyalty to Lex. Mm -hmm. But that, as we kind of said already, was a little bit of a failing in that latter part of the season altogether on multiple storylines. It became very much about, like, Lex as a charismatic, manipulative figure and less about the ideological conflicts that had been set up early on in the season. Mm -hmm. One other thing with regard to Lex, and I wish they had played this up a bit more, is he fun fundamentally underestimates several different female characters in the season and for a show that has such strong like feminist and like female empowerment roots those beats weren't really given the kind of strength that maybe prior seasons would have the first being he clearly underestimates lena like that one at least got a little bit of like a pyrrhic victory yeah. to it he underestimates Kara in multiple ways she did have that moment though of like i'm supergirl <laughs> well yeah but that's like at the very end of the season i mean in terms of all his plans all along, but the other person he really underestimates, and I am disappointed they didn't do more with this. He underestimates Alex and Alex's value. 
Mm-hmm. to like everything else that's happening because you have the moment where she walks in in that flashback of Red Daughter in Kara's apartment and he's got like the gun out because he might shoot her if she figures out that something is wrong. But he never figured out that that was a threat the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> that she's kind of like the bedrock of a lot of the things that Kara stands for and why Kara has the determination to do a lot of the things that she does, partly because Lex is a sociopath who doesn't care about anyone. <laughs> it's a little bit like Voldemort not recognizing that like yeah. human attachment is actually valuable. (laughs) Correct. But yeah, it was a little bit weird that like we had that motif of siblings throughout the season and sibling dynamics being so important. And then you had all of the Luther characters together and you actually did have all of the Danvers women in one episode and like they didn't do anything with that. Yeah. They've been kind of getting this set up for three seasons now. So it was a little odd that they didn't actually do something explicit, really hammering in those contrasts or even having one of those characters be kidnapped and have to get themselves out of trouble while the others are doing something different. Like, yeah, it would have been really interesting to have like Eliza Danvers science mom versus Lillian Lillian Luther right? science mom engineering science mom yeah <laughs> and then the two Lexes and then the two adopted children <laughs> well maybe versus Red Daughter mm, like Kara and Red Daughter yeah and then maybe Lena is a wild card well yeah and that probably I think would have hammered in the final conflict with Lena much more strongly mm, chooses a side well she chooses a side but then that side she feels like betrayed her but that's like an example of a real family. <laughs> Yeah. And those are all people who've always been very kind to her and very accepting of her, even when they're like, why are you testing superpowers on humans? Like, <laughs> suddenly their reasons for that make more sense. Uh, <laughs> right. So that was a bit unfortunate, especially how heavily it was skewed on the Luthers, but also then because the storylines for Gara and Alex, like later on in the season, became weirdly contrived by the fact that they then weren't interacting with their family members, mm. especially like that scene with Alex where she makes the whole speech about her mom and wanting to be a parent and then Kara's not there so she has to lean on like a random person and it's like okay but you could call either of them like I understand like maybe the signal doesn't reach to Cosnia yeah <laughs> but like if you're about to adopt a, a baby, baby call your mom <laughs> yeah like although I think my argument before was that like the fear kept her from calling yeah but that's you trying to make sense of something yes. because the character development didn't give it to you that's not that wasn't like a subtext it's another uh, thing that's like could be character accurate <laughs> It could, but like you shouldn't as the viewer have to do that legwork for the show. So that's kind of a bummer because we don't know how many more, if any, episodes they'll get to have Lex to possibly be able to explore some of these things maybe in next season, which is a shame because then John Cryer ended up being like a lovely addition to the cast Mm -hmm. and is the kind of actor who definitely keeps pace with the core cast as well. Mm -hmm. So, And it's like, as far as we know at this stage, it's just the crossover for Lex and I'm like, we're not going to get any Supergirl content. <laughs> no, that's going to be about Arrow. Let's be real. Arrow's ending. Yeah. Two thirds of that crossover is just going to be about Oliver Queen. Mm-hmm. But we will see what they do for season five. We have Comic Con coming up in San Diego. It's soon. It's really soon. So we'll have some interesting things to theorize about if you're into that. Well, hopefully. <laughs> well, and we've also seen a few spoiler pictures as well from yeah. little teases of things for season five. Thank you, cast members. <laughs> yeah. And there are some predictions based on the setup that we had at the end of season four. Mm. So that should be interesting to look forward to. We have a lot of hiatus topic episodes coming up. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Including a couple that people have requested commenting on specific older episodes that are favorites. Yeah. Looking forward to that. So stay tuned for when we let you know or hint to you maybe which ones they are. (laughs) Yes. And thanks for listening. 